10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year! You know I'm right. The podcast that covers the origin stories of some of the biggest things in sports, media, entertainment, entrepreneurship, and so much more. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, we have a really strong guest for our audience today here to start off the new year. Yeah, if you're looking for New Year's resolutions... Uh, we found the perfect guest to start uh, our guest list for New Year's, uh, the owner of Strong New York, right? And he's had a couple of our former guests on. Uh, there's uh, trainers, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to talk about. Uh, he's also been on The Challenge, which is one of your favorite shows. We've also had a former uh, guest list of people who have been on The Challenge. So Really, a lot of really great things to talk about. I uh, was able to finally pin him down. And without further ado, we'd like to welcome first guest of the new year, Kenny Santucci. Kenny, welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Kenny, great, little, uh, great little intro you guys got there. There you go. Yeah, so we're excited to have you on. Obviously, you're very much into fitness and health and whatnot. But, you know, your roots, you are an Italian guy. So how did you manage navigating Christmas Eve and Christmas with all the, the bad food in front of you? How did you manage to eat to eat good, eat healthy? What did you do? What was your strategy for the holidays? Uh, I think a lot of people uh, start to not eat, you know, eat, uh, stop eating a day before or the day of, and they'll just gorge themselves. They'll have like one big meal. When in actuality, I've been doing this for the past couple of years. I'll have a couple small meals throughout the day. So when I get to wherever I'm going for Christmas dinner, I'm not gorging myself when I get there. Um, so I kind of keep my metabolism going. I kind of have some fuel in me where I, I'm not as hungry when I get to that meal and I'm not overeating because it's very easy, you know, especially when you come from an Italian background and you're eating uh, pasta, and, you know, everything and anything they could throw at you, pastas and, uh, antipast and mozzarella and all this stuff and you're eating all this shit and you're like all right i just ate five thousand calories but if you would have ate a little bit more throughout the day you probably wouldn't have been as hungry and eaten as much shit so smaller portions is always the uh the better route for me um and hopefully that helps a couple other people out as well definitely good good note there for sure joe so kenny we're going to talk about a lot of different things here but obviously you know you're, you're talking to us right now from your place, Strength Club, New York City, of course. Uh, I can only imagine the astronomical rates you are paying for rent in New York City right now. But around this time of year, is this where you're really seeing, uh, you know, a lot of those people fall into the traps of New Year's resolution? Let, let me get in here now. Uh, no, you know what it is? I've, I've always noticed here in New York, there's a little bit of a delay, right? Because people here, uh, whether they want to admit it or not, have money. And they spend a lot of their time extending their New Year's to the second, third, fifth, seventh, whatever it may be. Uh, people are gone a little bit longer. Uh, I had some clients who have been gone for two, three weeks now, and they'll be gone for another week and a half or so. Um, so it, it, it does get dragged out a little bit far, further than normal. Um, I know when I was in the suburbs, it's like January 1, everybody wants to be in the gym. Here, it's more like, the second week of January, third week of January, people start to come back. It lasts about uh, two weeks to three weeks at most. Listen, if you're going to make fucking changes in your life, you don't need a new year, a new day to change it. 
start right now. Um, you know, everybody wants to overhaul their whole life, overhaul one thing, change one thing about what you're doing. Cause most of the time you're doing so many fucking things wrong. And if, if you're morbidly obese or you're overweight or you haven't worked out, there's probably 10 different things that you, you could do right now that could change, you know, the outcome of what you look like in three to four weeks. So I tell people, it's like, don't wait for New Year's. Don't wait till you get back from vacation. Start doing something right now. Um, whether it's a, the next choice you make on what you're going to eat or drink or uh, going to bed a little bit sooner than you normally would. I mean, there's so many different little choices that you can make on a daily basis that could eventually lead to you being in the best shape of your life. So you talk about the suburbs. You attended Montclair State University. How was that like? Uh, what were your career aspirations like uh, heading into college? How did that change when you were in college? And how did you stay active on campus in terms of, of activities uh, and academics, like internships and stuff like that? Uh, so I went to I went to Montclair State. I had a couple grants for wrestling, so I wrestled at Montclair State. Um, I didn't really have much of a social life there you know i i had my friends from high school and a couple of people i knew from college or the guys on the wrestling team and stuff so i hung out with them um but i wasn't a part of like greek life or anything like that um i worked a lot so right out of high school i got a job down at port newark so by the time i was 17 18 years old i had a full-time job so i was juggling wrestling my regular job and then school all at the same time uh, my parents would have loved if I just had a blue collar job and I became a, a cop or a fireman. So they made me take the test, the state test every year for that, uh, which was annoying. Um, and I, I did pretty well on it and, you know, just kept denying getting one of those jobs. I really didn't want to do it. Um, and then right out of college, I had gotten on television. So that kind of saved me a little bit. But um, yeah, I really didn't like college was more about work for me than anything else. I was, I was doing a lot more then. Um, you know, I, I lived at home. I, I, at that time, my family just moved up to Cedar Grove. Uh, so we were a town away from Montclair. So it was easy for me to commute there. Commuting sucked. I mean, if you guys went there, it was a pain in the ass to, to find parking. I don't know what it's like now. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the typical college experience. I think I got a lot of that when I got on television, right? Like traveling and, you know, staying in hotel rooms and, you know, having this crazy party life I had later on uh, after college, you know, going on spring breaks and shit like that. So my co-host here, Joe, in his 20s, frequent flyer, we could say a frequent member of the Jersey Shore in the summertime. Yeah. I'm assuming you spent quite a good amount of your summers down at the Jersey shore. Would that be correct? Yeah. Um, I was actually telling somebody the other day, I spent way too much money at Jenkinson's and Osprey and all these bars down in the shore. Um, and it's funny to me because every once in a while I'll get a message from somebody on, you know, either Instagram or Facebook being like, Oh yeah, you bought me and all my friends shots at Osprey or uh, Jenkinson's. Like I used to walk in there um, pretending to be the mayor and buying everybody shots and drinks and I get my bill at the end of the night for like $2,000. And I'm like, how did I spend $2,000 at this shit dive bar on the show? <laughs> you know, it's not like it is now. Right. I, I think the, I, I mean, fast forward 20 years, right. It's now so expensive to live down there. Like nobody was really living down there at that time during the off season, you know, um, 
it was like a ghost town. But nowadays, people are living down there. I think during COVID and stuff, a lot of people shifted their lives down there. If you could work from anywhere, shit, if I could, I mean, if I didn't have my business here in New York, I'd love to go down the shore and live down there all year round. Um, but it's so expensive. You know, I remember back in 2014, 2015, going down to Asbury, looking at a condo down there and it was 200, 300,000. It's like that same condo now is 800, 900. So the, the prices are astronomical down there. Um, I think it's the whole, uh, the whole shore has become more elevated in a way. I'm, everything from uh, Sandy Hook down to Cape May, right? Like people live down there all year round. There's nicer restaurants. There's better places. Back then, it's like you were eating like, like shitty, greasy spoon places everywhere, you know, or a diner off the highway. So, yeah very very expensive now and yeah. million dollars probably to live a uh, ocean ocean front property and you got to worry oh, about easy. flooding easy you know i have i have a couple friends who have multi-million dollar homes it's like i don't think you're touching anything next to the water for under two million yeah it's crazy stuff so you mentioned earlier of course your time on tv so before you ended up on tv what were some of the shows you watched, I'm assuming you watched the real world. Were there any uh, people that you were big fans of before you ended up going on TV that you ended up meeting and were like, wow, this person's a total jerk. It's funny because I, I really wasn't a fan of the show. I was dating a girl who was um, at that time. I was like a die hard wrestling fan. So like Monday nights, Thursday nights, yeah, Nitro, I would, Raw. Yeah raw nitro i mean it was it was the it was the peak of that right i graduated in high school in 2001 i'd say by 2004 2005 it was kind of fizzling out for me but i think wrestling was at its its peak then right i think wwe had just bought out wcw they had everybody on one you know station so it was a big time for wrestling like i really didn't watch I, i still don't watch like a lot of reality tv like all this shit that people watch like um housewives and love is blind and all this bullshit that people like i have a gym full of people that talk about tv shows all day long i don't watch anything um you know uh white lotus and all this shit people come in they'll have full-blown conversations i don't even know what the fuck they're talking about so nick and his wife are huge real housewives fans that's hysterical oh so when i i had dated a girl you know 10 years ago now and she was a huge housewives fan like that's all she watched housewives and like i knew who they were because it's like it was always on always on right yeah but for me i'm like i could care less to watch this shit i i like i was a huge game of thrones fan obviously a huge sopranos fan like those are two shows that i really followed pretty closely um i really watched uh, uh what the hell the walking dead i was a huge fan of Right now, it's like I watch a lot of documentaries. I watch Bill Maher, like shit like that. I mean, I watch a lot of – I never thought I'd be this person, but I watch a lot of YouTube and I'll watch reruns of old wrestling shit or I'll watch uh, the guy Derek from More Plates, More Dates. I'll watch his show. So I'm, I'm more into – I want to get something out of it. Right. Do you watch any sports? Are you a suffering Knicks fan like us? No, I'm not a sports guy at all. I don't watch oh. any sports. I mean, people find it so fucking weird. They're like, well, you're a trainer. I was like, yeah, I like human performance. I like the idea of like learning how to build an athlete, but I could give a fuck less. I went to a friend of mine's 
got season tickets to the Rangers. Another, I, I got some tickets from a company I work with to go see the Nets. And I'm sitting there. I'm just like, this sucks. I, I could care less to watch a bunch of people play a sport, right? I, I didn't watch any of the, the World Cup. I'm just not a sports guy. But do you watch like mixed martial arts? You watch like UFC because it's closely aligned with what you do. Yeah, I okay. I do I do enjoy if I'm gonna watch anything. Yeah, I, I'll watch boxing. I'll watch UFC. Uh, I'm not like diehard where I got to watch every fight, but there are fights I'm I'm invested in. I, I train uh, Muay Thai pretty pretty frequently here in the city. Um, uh, obviously, my the two trainers that I work with are both uh, amateur. Well, one's a pro fighter, one's an amateur fighter. Um, so I'm into that, but you know, I like the stuff. I like the art form. I like learning it. I like learning how to develop an athlete, but I could care less to watch a lot of the stuff. Yeah. So you're not really, you weren't really a fan of reality TV or anything. So what made you audition for reality TV or did somebody approach you? Or what was your reaction when you found out you were cast for the challenge? Uh, it's an interesting story because I had, I was dating somebody who uh, I used to work at this club with. So I had, again, through college, I had another job at, on the weekends. I would go work at this club uh, down in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Um, it was only open for a couple of years. And then there was like a big shootout there and they closed it down. Um, but I worked there for about a year or two years. Um, and this girl who was a bartender there, she's like, hey, I want to try out for the real world. We were seeing each other at the time. So she's like, why don't we take a ride up to Syracuse to try out for the real world? I was like, all right, fuck it, whatever. You know, and it's like a shot in the dark at the time. You're like, who cares? I'm not going to get on this. I'll go take the ride with her or whatever. It's like a three hour ride from where we lived in Jersey. Um, so we got up there. One thing led to another. And then I'm getting called to, you know, go to this audition or, or go to this like uh, interview and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I have four or five different interviews. It lasted about six months. Uh, and then the next thing I knew, they were they were asking me to sign all this paperwork and then I was going to leave for uh, a real world. So I, I'm glad it didn't happen. The first audition I actually went to and I went through the whole process. They flew me out to L.A., all that shit. Um, I'm glad I didn't get on because I would have probably never, like looking back, I would have never finished college. It was my senior year. And the spring of my uh, spring semester, I would have completely missed because I would have been filming the show. Um, so I got to finish my spring semester. I graduated in May of 05. Um, September of 05, I did the first show I did. Uh, and then from there on out, it was just a whirlwind. I was constantly on shows and traveling and doing shit like that. And when I was home, I was working. So I had uh, I was juggling that job, and then I got really into the the fitness stuff. Like I was leaving work to go to to the gym, and I was super invested in building myself as an athlete. I'm like, oh, I'm super into this. Like, obviously, I got into it during college. Uh, I really wanted to major it in college, but I was like, what are you going to be a fucking gym teacher? And I'm like, <laughs> I guess. you know, training was. But Wasn't at the time, time right, I, and I tell people all the time now, like everybody I see on social media is like, oh, I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science or I have a master's degree in exercise science, whatever. I go, 20 years ago, no, if you told somebody you were a fucking trainer, they're like, how do you make money? What are you doing? You know, even 10 years ago, I tell people I'm a trainer. Before Instagram, if you told some like a girl out at a bar that you're a trainer, she'd be like, what do you do for money? You know? Like when I told my parents I was a trainer, they were like, what the fuck are you going to do for money? Um, I just really enjoy it. I love it. I mean, that's why I think I've been doing it for so long. 
I have severe ADD, so I can't do anything for too long. And this is the only thing I've really stuck with and fell in love with. So and it allows me to be creative too, right? Because I went to school for art and design. You know, yeah. I was like, you know, get into graphic design and do that stuff. And it allows me to like build my brand and do all this stuff. It all kind of came full circle. I remember talking to um, my advisor in college and I was like, you know, I'd love to do something with art and the gym and like being a trainer. And she's like, those two worlds never cross. So it doesn't make any sense. So you can't do that. And like, here I am, you know, 20 years later and I'm like, all right, well, it's kind of making it all happen. So the strong New York brand allows me to, you know, kind of make the shirts and create the event and designing gyms and doing all that stuff. Like I built out a couple of gyms for some friends and some clients, obviously done three for myself. Um, so yeah, I, I get to combine the two, which is, you know, I guess I'm laughing now. Yeah. Just, and then it's all because you, you got to finish college and you got to, yeah. to put that stuff to good use, which is a great story. So, you know, you mentioned before, before Instagram, before Twitter. So when you're doing the shows, I mean, there's really minimal social media, maybe MySpace. So at the height of that, you know, what's the most you ever got paid or offered to do a, a club appearance or media appearance? Um, God, the most I got, well, so I was, I was very fortunate when I was on the show, I got to do a lot of like the commercials and stuff. So I did a lot of like the promo shit for the shows and stuff, which was really cool. So I did a 7-Eleven commercial. We did a, um, me and Evan did a, a commercial for a movie that was coming out that like, it was like an MTV movie or MTV studios yeah. developed it. Um, Jessica Alba was in it. I forget the name of the movie. Um, but I was really lucky with a lot of that stuff. So, and then we did, uh, we did this whole big college campus crawl with Under Armour. Um, so, I mean, God, 12 grand, 15 grand here and there, like extra money was, you know, it was there. And then like bar appearances and stuff. I remember going to St. Louis. So I was in St. Louis and I did like three or four bar appearances. It was like Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. I flew home that Sunday. Uber wasn't a thing yet. I flew into Philly airport, took an Uber uh, cab ride from Philly airport. It was like $300 at the time from Philly to the Jersey shore. A bunch of my buddies were on the Jersey shore. I met them all at Jenkinson's. I still had my like luggage and shit with me. I spent the Sunday at, you know, Jenkinson's and uh, Tiki bar. Um, so that was like a normal weekend during the summer. Um, so for me, it was, uh, you know, it, it was definitely a different ballgame. But yeah, no, I mean, fuck, now these guys are making so much money. I think, like, the way they're throwing money around, even on the show, like I was talking to Johnny the other day. Yeah. yeah they get a million dollars if they win, some of these people, or right. $500,000. I won fucking three times. I don't think it all added up to five. Right, And you had to share it with people. Now it's, yeah, all, it's like pretty much like a one-man game. It's such bullshit. I'm like, this is so stupid. Now, um, when you were coming back, were you able to negotiate more of a, like a show up fee? Would they pay you a lot more each time? So we were the first ones to do that. Me, Johnny, Evan, um, Wes, CT was supposed to do it with us, but he backed out at the last minute, which almost kind of fucked us all. Um, yeah. But no, we no, all you, got you were the five stars at that time, you know, so yeah. you kind of unionized. Yeah. And that's basically what we did. We formed a union and we hired an attorney and we we're like, Hey, we're not leaving unless we get X amount of dollars. And they hated that. 
Um, but that was like the first um, big payout that we got, you know, because at that time I was hosting the Jersey Shore show. This was like 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And the Jersey Shore is getting $100,000 an episode, huh. $200,000 an episode. So it was crazy what they were making. I was like, we're trying to get that for one fucking season. Like, help <laughs> us the fuck out, you know? Right. Um, so it was bullshit. It's like now, I guess, I mean, Johnny, I heard, makes a pretty nice chunk of change just to show up. Um, but the guy's been on television. He's been doing this for over 20 years. It's like, yeah, I mean, pay the fucking guy, you know? Um, it's bullshit. It was it was very shitty pay for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's be- But it's better than most because I know a lot of these other dating shows and stuff, they don't make anything, you know? And when people are like, Oh, I won Love is Blind or I won fucking whatever the fucking show is where they date people through a box or some bullshit. Right. They don't get anything. Why no, would you no. go? Like, yeah. why do you and, and you don't you don't win anything, right? Like, what the fuck's the point? So Yeah, we've had big brother people on there like we make a thousand dollars a week for the amount of weeks we're on the show. So you could be there for like, you know, 16 weeks. It's not it's really you're losing a lot of money in the actual real world by being on the show. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, and then you can't. And if you have a real job and people are always like, oh, go back. I'm like, I can't leave my job, my business for six weeks or eight weeks. Go fuck around on television. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it might help or something, but I don't even think it's worth it, you know? So obviously, you know, you, Evan and Johnny, the big three at the time, some really funny moments. You ever bust their chops about stuff like Johnny's terrible trivia answers or when evan climbed up a pole with a bike on his arm or anything like that you still kind of reminisce and bust their chops at all yeah i was with evan for his birthday uh two weeks ago three weeks ago he lives down in florida now so i was with him and uh you know i don't think the show really came up at all um we're we're obviously like you know giving kudos to johnny because he still fucking does it i don't know how he does it um the living situation sucks because, you know, if you look around and you watch it, you're paying attention on the show. It's like everybody's living in bunk beds and shit. Yep. You know, I couldn't imagine being, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'll be 40 years old in a couple of months. Um, I couldn't imagine somebody telling me when I could eat and when I could go to sleep and, you know, living on a bunk bed or sleep. I'm like, fuck that. I mean, it's, it's miserable. It's not a. It's not a good living situation. It's not like you're filming the fucking Kardashians. Yeah, I mean, you had to live on an island, right? I mean, that must have been brutal. That was that was miserable. I still have fucking flashbacks of it. That sucked. Yeah. So, do you think though, if you and Evan, you know, didn't leave the show, would Johnny still have won all those championships, or would you have gotten a few? Oh, I don't know. I mean, listen. I always say, I tell him all the time. I'm like, dude, if anybody's winning, I'm happy. It's you. I'm glad he's like, he is hands down the best one on the show. I mean, he's the most, I mean, people, there are p- other people that people remember and really like, but I think he is, he's come out the most triumphant. He's got the most wins. He's, he's the most relevant on the show. He's done the most with uh, being on the show. Like he yeah. had the, the show on NBC or whatever. Luck, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a ton of other shit going on. So good for him. I'm glad it's him. Um, yeah. I mean, we could speculate. I don't know. I, I, always did pretty well i think i still have one of the better records and i haven't been on in fucking 10 years um so yeah i'm, I'm sure we we would have hung in there for sure you need like an all-star legends reunion or something like that i um, i just think the all-stars is like mark was 
I was chatting with Mark about it. And I go, I, I feel like it's just kind of a cop out. It's like, oh, you're not good enough to perform with the real guys anymore. So here's this, here's this old men's league. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the name All Stars is really misleading because you have some like terrible people who never could win anything, and they're on. Yeah, the or they, or they like haven't been on anything. They weren't really like challengers, right? Like, right, right. You know, it's. Yeah, if the, it if it was all like the best people coming back and competing against each other, and like you did season after season in different places or something like that. Sure. But from what I gather, what I've seen so far, it's just like they're digging up people. They're like, "Oh, will you come? Yeah, we'll give you some money, and you show up." And you know, it's a bunch of misfits um, or like old people. Like, who? Nobody wants to watch old people do anything. I'm I'm old. I don't think anybody wants to watch me do anything. Um, so. You know, it's like you got all these young people on the on the other show, uh, and that seems to be like the big, big reveal, right? Like it, it casts a shadow over the the All Stars thing. But if the All Stars was like the Premier League, then it would make a difference. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing: you don't look like you're about to turn forty. You look very, very good. You look <laughs> like you're like <laughs> Nick and I. We just turned thirty this year, so just oh, to, give you, to give you perspective, yeah. Um, Kenny looks younger than you, Joe, I think. He does. <laughs> I wish I had the – I can't really grow out the flow because my hair is not like it, – it's not like the thin enough. It would yeah. like curl up a little bit and it would be like too wave. It just wouldn't work like that. But you you still got a really nice set of hair too. I, I, I've been growing it out because I feel like, you know, I, I might lose it soon, so I might as well keep it. You know, I might as well keep a flow going. Right. And I always said if I start losing my hair and shave my head ball, that's it. As soon as the bald spot comes, gone. Because at least I have the beard, right? But um, we want to talk business with you now. Seems like you've always known that you were going to do something in regard to fitness and, and growing um, you know, your business that way. When was the moment where you said to yourself, okay, everybody was telling me I can't make money off doing this. So somebody came up to you and said, no, you can do this. What was the moment where like you started building up a clientele? What was the light bulb moment for you where you were like, all right, you know, I can become a fitness, a uh, personal fitness trainer. I, when I realized I started working at Equinox is probably 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. And, you know, I saw people that were doing it for a long time and I saw what they were doing wrong. Um, and I was like, all right, well, the money's not going to be made staying here because Equinox takes too much of your, your money. But I'm like, if somebody's paying $135 or $140 at the time, and this was, you know, over 10 years ago, to train with me, I could go and build my own gym and charge people that amount and, you know, just have some sort of funnel or streamline uh, some way to get clients in there. Um, and do group classes and do all this stuff. And I was like, all right, I could have multiple streams of revenue. I could do what I like on a daily basis. And I think that's what it was. I think for me, you know, having worked an office job for a long time and I worked construction and I worked in, um, you know, landscaping and things like that. All like when I was a kid, I always had jobs that were just like, I fucking hate it. I just did for money. Uh, and it was the first time I did something out of pure enjoyment and got paid for it. So I realized I'm like, well, since I enjoy it, I'm not going to stop doing it. 
So I'll keep doing this and I'll see where this takes me. And I think when I started having people pay me to train them and then um, being in the gym just made me understand how the business operated, um, you know, working in different gyms and owning my own gyms. I was like, all right, this could be, this could be pretty lucrative. I could make some money off this. And I don't, and even filming, like I fucking hated filming. I would treat every time I went away on a show like a business trip. I was like, I want to make my money and give me the fuck out of here because I hate it. Um, so for me, I'm like, all right, I enjoy being in the gym. And it, the more time I spent in the gym, the more money I would make, right? I didn't mind getting up at 5 a.m. and then staying until 8 p.m. Every other job, I'm like watching the clock. You know, when you start watching the clock and you're like, oh, at least five minutes went by and like 30 seconds went by. And you're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. So I hated that. Um, but in the gym, it's like I would turn around and be two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, shit, the day flew by. So I think that's what it was for me. I think I don't mind the grind when it comes to being in the gym. And I don't have a, all these boundaries and rules that I know some trainers have, right? They're like, I don't work past seven o'clock. I don't get in before, you know, 9 a.m. I'm like, fuck, I do. I'll get there at 5 a.m. I'll stay there all night, all day, um, you know, because I'm, what the fuck else am I going to do? I'm going to sit at home and read a book. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm, I want to work. I want to be in front of people. I enjoy interacting with people. Um, the, the, the lifestyle of a trainer works for me. And I think that's what's made me successful. It's the best thing about being your own boss. Do everything on your own time for your own enjoyment, your own leisure. It's awesome. So, yeah. uh, Describe working for Solus New York, doing CrossFit training and creating the body class. Uh, so I had my own gym in New Jersey, and that's where I originally created the body class. It was kind of like a, a breeding ground for it. So I tried out because there, I was running into a lot of people. I mean, I had a gym in Paramus, which, you know, there's a lot of high-end clientele there. And there's people there who didn't want to do CrossFit. So I wanted to create a, a class or something for them. So I started this body class and I would get, um, you know, some older women, some moms and stuff who wanted to take that class. And I was like, all right, this thing has some legs. I got a call from these guys when I moved back to New York and uh, they had said they were opening this big gym here on 32nd Street. It's going to be this big CrossFit gym. And I got there and they were just running CrossFit classes. And I go, hey, I was like, I have this idea for another class. I think it could be really good here. I go. When I invite people to the gym, they're like, I don't want to do CrossFit. And these were like good friends of mine. So they're like, I don't want to fucking do CrossFit. They were doing Barry's at the time or Soul Cycle or whatever it is. Um, so I created this class and it, it fucking blew up. It did really well. Um, it was, it's what saved that gym. Um, you know, it, that gym should have shut down four or five years sooner than what it did. Um, had it not been for that class, like, I mean, that, that floated everything. I mean, that kind of put us on the map, um, as a CrossFit gym. And we would get this all the time. People would say it was like a soft CrossFit gym. Um, and I wasn't really running a lot of their CrossFit program. We always had somebody else like doing some of the CrossFit stuff. I was managing the, the trainers at the time and, you know, managing the gym, but I kind of let them run with the CrossFit program because like the body class was my baby and I, I, I did really well with it. Um, so comparatively to CrossFit fifth half where they had, um, a couple CrossFit, you know, competitors there and they had 
and uh, CrossFit NYC, which was a big CrossFit gym. I mean, some of these gyms, I mean, are uh, not even half of what they used to be. I mean, I don't think Fab is even around anymore. There was CrossFit Union Square. So comparatively, our CrossFit program wasn't at the caliber of these other guys. Um, we always had just somebody who was an idiot doing the programming and stuff. It was never aligned with everything else. Um, but the body class was like rocking. I mean, our, we would have, we would cap the class at 20 people. We'd have 30 people in every class. You know, there were wait lists for the class. I mean, it did really well. I, it went from not even being a thing. We, and I taught it in a fucking hallway. It was basically the hallway of the gym. And that's where I, I created this class. And, um, it was, uh, you know, I, I handpicked every coach that we had there and I wanted somebody who understood CrossFit, uh, but could also be an entertainer. And it was, I kind of let them have the freedom. And I think that's what made trainers want to coach it and teach it was because I allowed them the freedom to create their own program. Right. What I didn't like about CrossFit was like, all right, there's a workout of the day and I'm going to teach the same workout six times throughout the day. And I'm fucking bored of it. You know, by the second, third class, you're like, this sucks. So what I did was I created a class and I just took out all the shit that I didn't like about it um, and let them kind of sprinkle in what they wanted to do. And people had a good time with it. And it, people would, the trainers would argue about who the best was and who, who filled up the, the most people and people would fight to get into their class. And, you know, it was great. It was, it was a, it was very competitive. Um, but it allowed us to make a lot of money off it. It went from not being a class to we had nine, I think some days, 10 classes a day and they were all filled. And our CrossFit classes, you'd go downstairs and it'd be like six people. And it would just be like the hardos who thought they would be like CrossFit competitors and shit. Um, so it was great. It was great. And then I, I created another class, which, you know, had we had the pandemic not have happened, it, it would have been a bigger thing, but it's even then did still pretty well. And I, kind of handed it off to two other coaches to kind of run it because I couldn't do everything. Um, but it was called build. It was doing, you know, stuff that you would never do in a CrossFit gym before incline bench press and, uh, curl bar curls, and, uh, skull crushers and stuff like that. Like you, nobody would do that stuff in a CrossFit gym 10 years ago. Uh, and I started doing a lot of this stuff and people got super into it. And, you know, we had all these, streams of revenue coming through the door people just sign up for that class just sign up for the body class um so it did really well i think at the peak of it we probably had about 700 to 750 members right for a crossfit gym that's huge i mean that, those numbers are unheard of that's unbelievable and again it seems like just piecing together bits and pieces of things here and there that were already being used or utilized elsewhere and then yeah. kind of doing it your own way. I mean, that's awesome. That's that's living yeah. the game. Absolutely. Yeah. So at the top, I mentioned you're the uh, one of the owners of Strong New York, right? Yeah. So talk about the process of starting that. Uh, who was in your corner? Who helped you do that? You know, et cetera. Uh, so for me, I think with Strong New York, it was just like I was, I, again, I'm going out to the LA Fit Expo next month. Um, and... I've been fortunate enough. I worked with Reebok. I worked with Nicola Walter. I've gotten to do a lot of these events uh, early on. I mean, I went to the my first Mr. Olympia. God, this was, I was 21. It was the first time I ever, like, was on a plane. I went out to Vegas. 
I went to Mr. Olympia and I was like, I fucking love this. It's just so cool. So I went to Mr. Olympia. I went to the Arnold. I went to the Fit Expo. I went to, um, you know, Summer Strong. I went to all these events, like all these fitness events. And I'm like, I live in the best city in the world. Like, arguably the best city in the world. Most people will not vote vacation to Columbus, Ohio or Phoenix, Arizona or some other shithole that they have all these events at. People come to New York. Everyone comes to New York. They come for the summer to enjoy the summers here. Uh, if you're going out to the Hamptons, even if you're just walking around the city and going to rooftop bars and stuff, uh, you come to New York during the holidays. I mean, it's a fucking madhouse here right now with Christmas and New Year's and everything. Um, it's the number one destination, right? Or at least top three destinations in the world. I'm like, why the fuck don't we have a fitness? Why don't I just create my own, do my own, and just make it a little bit more New York style, right? Because at the time, and even still to this day, I know very few, and I'm deep into the fitness space. There are very few people who are into bodybuilding, taking supplements, and doing all that shit here in New York City. Does it exist? Absolutely. Is there a, a, an underground scene of that? For sure. But for the most part, New York City fitness for a long time was boutique fitness, right? It was hit classes and soul cycle, and, you know, all this bullshit. And when you think about all the, uh, all the people who do Peloton and Tonal and Mirror, all those trainers are like New York-based trainers, right? Like I, I came up with a lot of these people. Some of them, I don't know how they fucking got on there. They're, just, they're attractive, so they put them on there. Um, I don't think their credentials or their background represent what, the, what their titles do, but yeah, that's a horse of a different color. Um, but this is all happening in New York, right? All these VC companies that are investing in these companies are happening in New York. So I'm like, I'm just going to create a fitness event where everything in New York is in one under one roof, right? It's a uh, kind of an expo. Um, so that's what I started. I started in uh, 2015. I actually was on a call the other day with my buddy who worked at Reebok. He's no longer there, but I had pitched him on the idea. He's like, let's do it. I pitched Michelob Ultra on the idea. And now they have an event called uh, Ultra Fit Fest where I've emceed it before and you know done a bunch of stuff with them. Uh, they kind of went down their own hole where it's like, they want music and all this other stuff, um, which eventually I'd like to have. But there's is like this one night kind of event type thing. Uh, last year we did at a ball, uh, ballpark stadium in San Diego. This year they did it in Brooklyn. Um, but mine is like I wanted it to be educational. I wanted it to be an expo. I wanted to put my friends who had fitness and wellness companies, whether it's a, a drink company or a platform or a book or whatever it is, in front of the people that they're trying to sell to. Um, and I also say the quality of the quality of uh, consumer that will be at the event is somebody who works for men's health or women's health or, you know, some uh, some company that, you know, could potentially help them become better. Right. Or get them to that next level. Uh, and that's what it's evolved into. Um, I have basically one person who helps me uh, do all this. I mean, she's kind of the, the brains and the the driving force of a lot of this. I'm kind of more the, the, I kind of come up with stupid ideas and she helps me execute them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was my buddy who worked for Reebok and then a lot of people taking a, a chance on coming out. I mean, Gunnar Peterson, my buddy, Jake Ferrugia, 
like a lot of these people. I, and when I look back and look at some of the people that I've had present for us, you know, uh, Jordan Shallows, the muscle doc, we've had Max Lugavere, who's got two New York Times bestsellers. I've had Steffi Cohen multiple times. I've had like big names within the fitness and wellness space come and be a part of this event. And I think that's what kind of elevated us. It, it was this gradual push. I mean, just this year we had, um, you know, a, a phenomenal lineup of people uh, teaching classes and doing workshops and speaking on stage. Uh, so it, it's, it's evolved and I, I just want to make it even bigger next year. You know, I want New York to have a fitness and wellness event. I mean, it's kind of been my brainchild for God, over a decade, uh, over five years now, six years, seven years that we've been doing it. Obviously, the pandemic slowed us down. We're looking for other stuff to do. Um, but this is the world I live in. I eat, sleep, shit, and breathe, you know, yeah. fitness, and especially here in New York. Um, you know, I, I like being dialed in and knowing what everybody's doing and helping out other businesses. You know, I always have the guys from Tone House come and teach a class because it'll introduce them to a new market that, you know, they might not necessarily touch. I have a friend of mine who owns Pilates studio. I wanted to get her involved. Um, different brands had reached out. I mean, it's been really cool. I've had everyone from Gatorade to Adidas reach out to us about being a part of the event. So as we grow the event, I mean, it's just getting bigger and bigger and get more eyeballs on it. Um, obviously it's all self-funded. I've put, you know, the last three events that we've done that were pretty big. I've put up my own credit card, put up my own money. Um, and created all the relationships. So I'm always looking for somebody out there who uh, who has the same drive and understanding of what I'm trying to do with the event to kind of help me take it to the next level. Uh, because you look at things like I, just this year, I went to FitCon, um, which was down in Florida. They have a big one in Utah. I mean, these, these events will get eight, 10,000 people, you know. Um, but I didn't want it to be just like bodybuilding. Like, I, I mean, I love bodybuilding. I, I think it's a, it's a massive aspect of health and wellness, but it's not really a New York City thing, you know? And like supplements and shit. Like, nobody's drinking fucking all these energy drinks and shit here. I mean, they might be, but it's not on the, the global scale or the scale that it is when you go out to like Vegas or, uh, you know, Florida or something. It's a, it's a different demographic of people here. Sure. So how have you been able to leverage your social media following to help grow your businesses with strong and strength club? I think when people see, um, like when I reach out to them, like sometimes I'll have uh, Chrissy reach out to people on our, whether it's the strong New York page or the strength club page, it'll be, it'll kind of fall on deaf ears. But like, I guess when I reach out to some people, they'll respond. Um, so I think that's helped a lot. Um, Obviously, I wish I had a, a bigger following because when people see you have X amount of followers, they just treat you differently. You know, it's like that episode of Black Mirror. Uh, you know, you, you got this number above your head. Or, you know, people equate that to some sort of value or validity. Um, do I know? Um, I think a lot of people fucking buy their followings and shit like that, which is stupid. Um, so... For me, I, I, I think I, and, and I've had people reach out who are absolutely fucking nobody. You know, I had a guy who, at the event this year uh, who has an equipment company who doesn't really know anybody, doesn't really have a following, but he expressed how passionate he is about the health and wellness industry and 
his product and what he wanted to do. And I'm like, just come, I'll, I'll just have you there, set up a table and let's do it. And I want to be able to be generous with people and help them out and help them grow their following because I wouldn't be where I'm at if people weren't gracious enough to help me. Um, I don't think anybody out there is self-made. Uh, I think it's putting yourself at the right place at the right time and doing putting in the right amount of effort to make something happen. There's a lot of people who uh, you want to want to shower them with praise, but it's, I, I was just watching an Instagram post the other day about a great leader is somebody who realizes what they're not good at and allows other people to do what they're not good at, you know? And I've, I've always been that way. Even at my old gym, I'd rather hire somebody to do the shit that I'm not good at right. because they'll do it better than I will. Instead of me trying to take the reins on stuff that I, I, I'm not good at, I'll probably half-ass it and it's going to make the business suffer as a whole. Um, and that was a big problem that we had at my old gym was that these other people wanted to be involved because they thought they should be involved. Um, when in actuality, the business didn't need them. You know, they should have stepped aside and done something else, not with the gym or you know, look for other spaces or do something along those lines because I had trainers who I could have had done marketing and sales and advertising and all that. And it would have ran a whole lot better. So, um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot that fucked up the last gym, but I mean, that's why this is knock on wood been doing pretty good so far. So you talk about nobodies or people who just kind of want to get off the ground, build their products, build their business, businesses coming up to you. Uh, you giving them essentially a platform to to spread the word. Uh, so we'll go from the nobodies to the somebodies. Uh, who are some of the most notable athletes, uh, celebrities, reality stars uh, who have reached out to you, who have sought advice, and who have actually trained at your gym? Uh, I've had a couple big clients. Um, most notable uh, would be uh, probably John Bon Jovi. Who I've worked with for the past two years. Who, wow. uh, That's awesome. Being a, um, yeah, being a, a New Jersey native. Um, yeah, I figured that the Jersey connection. Yeah, he's a, uh, in my eyes, probably the greatest rock star. Um, I always tell him what a big fan of I am of his. I mean, he obviously knows. Um, but yeah, I mean, working with him over the past two years has been amazing. You know, this was somebody I still have a poster of him up in my bedroom at my parents' house. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, I've worked with uh, Leif Shriver for about a year now. Um, he's hands down one of the coolest guys, really, you know, down to earth, like just a normal guy's guy. Like, I mean, everything you'd want him to be, that's who he is. Um, you know, there's no bravado there. There's no like kind of, he's better than anybody else where I've, as I've worked with other celebrities who aren't half as big as him, um, kind of have that. Um, those are the two that come to mind the most. I mean, they've been amazing. I, I love working with both of them. Um, they're both really genuinely really good guys. You know, I growing up in New Jersey, everybody's like, Oh, I saw Bon Jovi at a uh, shop right the other day, or I saw, you know, Springsteen at gold's gym. And he was an asshole to my mother or my grandmother or whatever it is. And I'm like, you know, now knowing him, I mean, he's been nothing but a fucking regular down to earth as 
yeah, obviously he's not a blue collar because he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But I mean, he he'd come in the gym and he'd say hello to everybody, and you know, he was just as friendly as you know the next guy. And some people didn't even know who the fuck he was. Like there were other people that they were like, I thought he'd be younger. I'm like, he's fucking sixty. You know, it's, it's time has gone by. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, he still looks great. I mean, he's in great shape. Like I last year he did, or la- this year actually, uh, in April he did uh, ten shows, and uh, we got him. I got him ready for that, and he did awesome. And me and a bunch of my buddies went down to the Florida show. He performed in Fort Lauderdale, and I went with like six of my friends who lived down there, and we went to go see him perform. And there was like, dude, he looks great. And I was like, yeah, I was like, he was dialed in. I mean, he's there's no doubt in my mind why that guy's successful. I mean, he is when it's when it's time for him to dial in, and he dials it in, and he's very impressive. It's incredible. Also, something incredible is that you have run the New York City Marathon. Yeah. Could never imagine doing that. All the prep that it takes, all the time it takes. Uh, so, talk to us about going through the process of doing that. I absolutely haven't trained for a new york city marathon i've done it eight times i think i trained the first two or three times and that was it um obviously i don't get the best time but i i go under this impression that one day um hopefully it won't happen but one day i feel like the world is going to get to a point where you know nobody's going to give you that pat on the back or tell you hey in a couple weeks you know the world's going to end you're going to need to be able to run you need going to need to be able to survive um so i always prepare for that you know, I always prepare for, can I still do this? Can, do I have the capability to do this? So this year, uh, I was supposed to run last year too, and I didn't. Um, this year, I had promised myself that I was going to run because uh, two years ago, I woke up with some severe back pain. I didn't know what the fuck was wrong. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to walk the right way again. Um, rehab myself back from that. And here we are two years later and I ran the marathon. Obviously it was my worst marathon ever, but I was coming off two years and not being able to, to walk the right way. I'd walk on a treadmill and it'd be fucking so painful. I couldn't pick anything up off the ground. I was wearing only slip on shoes because I couldn't put my shoes on. I mean, it was pretty fucking bad. There was a night I slept in the gym cause I couldn't get up off the floor. Um, and then I just like slowly kind of rehabbed it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to run the fucking marathon. As soon as I start to feel better, I'm going to run the marathon. Uh, and I had some aches and pains, but I, I finished it, you know? Um, so I tell people, it's like, it's all mind over matter. I was actually talking to somebody on Instagram last night. And she was telling me, she actually reached out to me because she was like, Hey, I've been dealing with this back pain. I just got this back surgery. I heard you do this. I heard you help people out with, uh, back pain and stuff. I had another client who I rehab back from a hip surgery. And, Obviously, I know the doctor's point of view, and they always want to play it safe, and they have a lot of liability over their head. But, you know, her doctor told her she couldn't run for a couple months. I had her running with it after a couple weeks. Like, not full sprints, but like, you know, kind of just light jogging and things like that. And, you know, she's a monster now. She just ran the marathon for the first time this year as well, and I trained her for that. And she she killed it, and she did really well. Um, so, you know, I I don't really have the the responsibility or liability that a doctor would have um but i know what it's like to blow out my knee have chronic back pain tear my shoulder i have multiple herniated discs in my neck and my back you know i think you just need to meet somebody where they're at 
perform whatever exercises or rehabilitation movements that you can at that point and basically just breaking it down to what do I have to do on a regular basis? I need to be able to lay in bed and get up out of bed. I need to be able to sit down on either a chair or a toilet seat and get back up. Uh, I need to be able to pick myself up off the ground if I need to. So let's just start with all this shit that we need to survive to be able to live a normal life. And then we'll dial it up from there. And that's basically how I treated myself and I treat all my clients. My mother, my mother's 72, 73 years old. I had her at the gym with me the other day. We went to, uh, we went to a gym in New Jersey. Uh, it's called Iron Culture. Loved it. Cool little gym out in the Cedar Knolls. And um, we worked out. And somebody had come up and they were like, how old is she? I was like, she's 72. You know, she's, she's working out. But there are so many 72-year-olds. One, you'll never catch them in a gym. Two, they won't be on a fucking treadmill. I made her get on the treadmill for 20 minutes. Then she hit the, uh, the rower for 10 minutes. And then we did like a, a lifting session, you know, and this is a 72 year old woman and she's great. She, you know, God bless her. She's in good health and stuff. And she had a bunch of issues and problems with her heart and, you know, um, everything else. And she's off all, I mean, I think she takes like one medication now and she was on like six before she started working out and stuff. She had a massive heart attack, uh, probably about 10 years ago now. Um, and working out saved her life. You know, so I tell everybody, you know, my dad passed away in 2019. He had um, a stroke. And the best days from the time he had the stroke to the time he died were the days that I walked him around the hospital, got him up, made him like I would just try to have him like pull on a band. I would bring like bands and towels and stuff to the to the um, hospital. And I would just have him like tussle, you know, wrestle back and forth. with Right. And it's creating circulation. He's moving. He's doing something. Whereas a lot of the doctors and nurses are like, you're going to hurt him. You're, I'm like, I'm not, it, the fucking guy's going to die anyway. We might as well try what we can. Right. And the days after I had done that, he was the most responsive. He was more together. So I've just done my own research with my own family and my own life that I'm like, there is no downside to me helping people exercise and become better. I know on a daily basis, what I do with people will ultimately make them better. I know, I know the boundaries because I've been doing it long enough and I know there is no downside to this. There are doctors out there who can prescribe medications who in the back of their mind, they're like, this might not be the best thing for them, but this is what I can give. This is what I'm, I'm designed to do, right? Medicate people. Whereas for me, it's like my job is to motivate and get people moving. And I want to do that as much as I can for as long as I possibly can to help people get better because I know for a fact that there's nothing else better on the planet. There's no medication. There's nothing else that I could give people. Even when I go to the best restaurant in the fucking city, right? And the best restaurant in the world, you know, I'm going to probably have the dessert, which I probably shouldn't have. I'm going to have some fucking steak that probably soaked in butter or oil. And I'm going to feel like shit afterwards. I'm never going to leave the gym and be like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Right. And that's what I tell everybody. Get in the fucking gym as often as possible. Stop fucking around on bicycles you know, stationary bikes in your house, go to a gym, get to know people, live life, experience gym culture, you know, and get out there and just start to move. Well said, you know, your fitness and everything being active that keeps you, keeps you young, keeps you healthy, keeps you alive. Yeah. Um, I was, out, I was out the other night and these two kids were like, 
I mean, they were like 28, 29. And they're like, dude, you're not 40. I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking 40. And they're like, what do you do? I was like, the only thing I've ever done since the time I was 14 years old. And the best thing, people are always like, I was born this. I was born that. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. I was, you know, you, you can't help it when you're a kid. I was born a fat Italian kid, right? I was very, <laughs> and it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it keeps me away. It, it's motivated me now, you know. 40 fucking years later, it's motivated me to continue to move. And it's been the best thing to ever happen to me because it gave me this struggle in life that I had to overcome and that I can now help other people with it. Um, but me being heavy and me being uncomfortable in that situation has made me do what I do now. And I look, if I go away, I, I was just telling the girl who works for me, she's going away for the weekend. And I said, I go, I don't ever want to go away without a purpose or without a plan to get better, right? Like I need to find a gym. I need to do something to get better. Otherwise I think it's a fucking waste of time when people are like, Oh, I'm going to Vegas to go fucking gamble and drink. I'm like, what a waste of fucking time and money. Absolutely. How stupid. Like to me, that's the biggest waste of time. Even to go and sit on a fucking beach all day. I'm like, I'm bored out of my mind. I'm antsy. I got to do something. Maybe it's because I have ADD or what, call it what you will. I think it's because you spent all those spring breaks from TV on the beach. Yeah, like for me <laughs> to go do that again, I'm like, what a waste of fucking time and money. You know? So last question for me, you kind of touched on this earlier here, but what would you say in your life or your career was your you know I'm right moment? So what I mean by that is a time or place where you wanted to do something, pursue something, you ask people for advice, like, Kenny, that's an awful idea. Don't do that. It's not going to work out. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. Um, probably before I ran the Ironman, people are like, you're going to die. You didn't train. I had just torn my pack. And everybody I worked with, my family, my friends were like, dude, don't do this, dude. You're going to get hurt. It's, you know, it's a long distance. You're going to get hurt. And I'm like, they just gave me the motivation to be like, I will die. I, I rather fucking die on the course 1000% would have died without finishing that fucking thing um and I did it I had come off you know just had torn my pack doing crossfit I was doing the crossfit work uh you know open that year it was like March February March I tore my pack that August I did uh, the Ironman and I came back and everybody's like that's fucking impressive and I said I was like I, you know and it changed the way I look at any struggle in life and this is 2012 right and i said i was like if i could do this physically i could do anything else mentally or emotionally like anything else i could overcome anything else and so many people were like doubted the fact that i could do it and i think with with strong new york as well right i think a lot of people were like dude what are you doing with this thing what are like my my good friends one of my friends who actually fucking put money into it uh, was like, dude, what are you, what are you trying to do with this? What the fuck's the point of it? And then the day of the event, I have 800 plus people there. Had it not been the same day as like other these six other events that were going on in the city, we probably would have had even more people, but I'm like, people love this. They want this. They want to be around other people. They want to be fit. They want to do something like this in New York city, right? We have the food and wine festival. We have uh, fashion week. We have comic con. We have all this other bullshit that doesn't serve you serve you as a human being so i'm like i'm going to create a day that people do this so i think those were my two big things that have opened my eyes up to sometimes i get this gut feeling that i need to do this thing and i'd rather fucking die 
than not accomplish it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, you definitely have a future sometime down the line uh, doing motivational speaking and all that type of event too, because uh, you're pushing me to want to come to one of your events. I'm not necessarily a fitness person and I can relate to this stuff and the health of my parents because my father had a stroke in December uh, and then my mom had brain surgery a couple months ago and she had a mild stroke uh, during the whole process of it. So it's very hard to get them both around now and kind of what you say about having people get up and move around and it's good for your health and it's something that's necessary. It's something that does resonate with me. And yeah. we, we, Nick and I, we really appreciate your time. Uh, very clearly, you know, you're fit. let me just give you this bit of advice on that. I think people, when they do it, like if your family, if your parents, especially after a stroke, they put them in Kessler or wherever it is to get their motor skills back or whatever, however severe the stroke is, there's different levels of like what they have them do. And it's looked at as exercise, right? And it's looked at as like this regimented thing. And I tell people, stop looking at, looking at it as this like regimented thing. Like, all right, from this block to this block, we're going to work out and do these exercises. If you take them and be like, hey, let's walk to the diner or let's walk to the store or let's go here or let come to the park with me and my kids or do whatever it is that those neurons in the brain are going to fire. They're going to start to light up. They're going to start to feel like they're alive again, right? There, there's definitely an emotional and electrical connection and a, and a chemical reaction when you are around people that care about you. I saw it with my dad the day he fucking died. Me and my mother were in the hospital and it gives me chills to even say it. He knew he was dying. And this was, I mean, he was in fucking bad shape for a long time, but he knew we were all there. And he squeezed my hand for the last time. And I was like, there's something, there's something there, right? Like the brain is very strong. So I tell everybody, get people to move. Moving will only help them. Think of your body like a glass of water. Think of your parents like a glass of water. Here's why I say that. Your body's 70% water. If you leave a glass of water out, it becomes stagnant. You know, bacteria starts to build up on it. But every once in a while, instead of leaving that glass of water there, you just shake it up and shake it up. That's what you're doing to your body. Just shake it up every once in a while. Get some circulation through there. Things only heal in your body when there's circulation. There's new red blood cells coming to that area. So I'm, I'm not a, a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I don't know shit about it, but I know what I know because I've lived through it. And those things help. So get them to move. Do things with them. It doesn't have to be this structured workout regimen and you don't have to do fucking five sets of 10 bench press just get them to do something like i said i had my dad pull on a towel i walked him around the hospital i was lying to him telling him i was going to take him because he had lost his fucking mind at this point i told him i was going to take him down to the shore and he's like all right we're going to go to the shore and i'm like yeah i parked the car around the back end of the building and i walked him around the building three times he had no fucking idea the next day he felt like a million bucks my mom was talking to him you know so it's i've seen it I felt it. I know what it's like. Get them moving. Like if you give a fuck about anybody in your life, you can be the light that helps them be inspired as well. If you're moving, you're going to get somebody else to be like, well, this motherfucker's moving and he's doing good and he looks great. I should do the same thing. You know, it's only going to inspire other people to do the same shit. Absolutely. Kenny, thank you again for your kind last words. 
certainly, again, it really, really helps me. Nick and I appreciate your time. Appreciate you. I would love to, to come to an event, especially me, meet you in person. Uh, and what we do here is we always kind of give our guests the ending. So if there's anything else you would like to share or promote, uh, you've done a lot already, but if there's anything else that you haven't covered, uh, by all means, go ahead and do so. And one more time, thank no. you for doing this with us. It, it matters. It really does. I appreciate it. No, just uh, follow Strong New York. Um, you know, we're going to be doing another event in um, in September of 2023. We'll have a couple smaller events throughout the year. I do a walking challenge uh, June, July, and August. Um, it's free to sign up. We just track everybody. Uh, first 10 people who sign up, we're giving a free pair of sneakers to some strong New York gear and that whoever wins that and does all three months of the, uh, the run challenge, we fly out to here to New York. We've done it twice now. This will be our third time. We fly out to New York, you come to strong New York, you get a VIP pass, you hang out, you meet everybody. So it'll be a pretty cool event. And hopefully this year we'll have a big uh, celebrity kind of guest to, uh, to do the talk. So. Mm, that's what you call a tease folks so stay tuned follow the <laughs> socials that's gonna do it here for this episode of you know i'm right for our very special guest kenny santucci for my coach joe calabrese i'm nick durst and this has been you know i'm right